0: First of all, thank you all very much for showing up. Uh, This is the first time I'm doing this and uh, I'm hoping that this turns into a weekly kind of thing that we can do every Sunday. Let's see how it goes. Uh, The purpose of this show is that it's called a social podcast. And what is a social podcast? Well, um it's it's a podcast where you can basically ask the host questions so it's not just you passively listening to the show uh you can ask questions and have have a discussion around the topics that are being discussed and so on so that's that's what brings the social into social podcast and this is something like that and uh, this is well suited to educational purposes because uh when, when somebody like me tries to explain some uh, not necessarily simple investing concept, uh, there, there are always likely to be questions in the in the minds of uh, uh, the listeners. And this gives you a great way to sort of ask those questions and have them answered on the spot. So it's it's good in that way. So uh, those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know that I do approximately once, uh, one, one Twitter thread every Saturday or so. And uh, the idea is that this show uh, will be an extension of those Twitter threads. So in every Twitter thread, what I do is I take a particular concept that has broad relevance to finance and investing, and then I try to explain that uh, concept in in a simple way, uh, the way I understood it. So uh, a little bit about me, I'm, I'm not a finance or investing professional. I'm a computer scientist. Um, so many of these finance investing concepts, I had to sort of uh, learn learn these things on my own. And it took me a long time to figure it out. And uh, through these Twitter threads, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm just trying to make the path uh, of understanding a little easier uh, for sort of those, those who come behind me. So this show is going to be something like uh, an office hour. Uh, for the Twitter threads. You can ask any questions about the threads you have and I'll try to answer them as best as I can. If I don't know the answer, I'll tell you I don't know the answer and then I'll try to find out. Um, and we can we basically help each other understand the concepts. Um, so how, how do you get the most out of this podcast? Well, uh, two ways. The first thing is tune in every week um, or as often as we do these shows. Uh, It's always a good idea to talk to fellow investors who may not have the same perspectives as you do. So you may want to, um, you you may learn a lot of things that way by talking to fellow investors and others who are maybe interested in investing. Um, And the second thing is, if something on the show is not clear, uh, use the social podcasting features. ask a question. So as uh, I, I love this quote from Confucius. So, Confucius said, um, if you ask a question, you may look like a fool for a minute, but if you don't ask the question, you'll be a fool for the rest of your life. So, just remember that, and if if you have a question, there are probably plenty of others who have the same kind of question. So, if, if something is not clear, just ask. So um bear with me a little bit because uh, there may be some technical difficulties uh, I, I i may not know what the right buttons to press and so on uh, because i'm doing this for the first time but over time i hope to get better at this thing um and uh, that that is the, the time for the show so i i set it uh, to uh, every, every sunday at 4 p m eastern but that is not set in stone so um, a few few people uh, who are outside the u.s have have told me that this this time doesn't work for them so the, the time may change i'll probably have it on a sunday but um, um, it, it may may or may not be at uh, 4 p.m eastern I'll, I'll do some twitter poll or something like that and try to um, try to get people's opinions and then find a time that try, that works best for uh, most most people um then how how is each episode going to be structured well i will maybe uh, open the episode uh, talking about uh, the uh, introducing the main concepts in the in the thread that was just published so maybe i'll talk for 5 to 10 minutes about uh, the core concepts that the thread described and then um, it's going to be a free form discussion so i will just uh, take questions and try to answer them so that's a very simple structure for each episode uh, in, in, in the show. Uh, so let's uh, delve into uh, this thread's uh, topic, this week's topic. It's uh, dividends versus buybacks. So um, any kind of investment that we make, uh, there there are two important sort of things. How much cash do we put in and how much cash do we take out over time? and hopefully the amount of cash that we take out over time from the investment should be more than the amount that we put in uh, in order for us to have a positive return on our investment and uh, dividends and buybacks are both ways that uh, public publicly traded companies use uh, to uh, for the for the second part that is to uh, help us take our cash out of the business uh, so this is how companies return capital to owners and um, so so under some circumstances dividends can be better under some circumstances buybacks can be better so uh, this this thread is about how to evaluate these circumstances and how to figure out uh, which which one is better and also for for some kinds of owners uh, for some some shareholders a a dividend may work better for them for other shareholders of the same company buyback may work better for them so it's it's not that for a given company a dividend uh, works better for uh, than a buyback or the reverse for all kinds of owners so the different owners uh, of a company different things might work for them so that that's one important concept here so in the thread i had this little example where there was this xyz company um so they made 1 billion dollars per year and then um they had 100 million shares outstanding so that was about uh, 10 per share is what they made and if if they distributed that 10 dollars per share as a dividend uh, versus if they did that as a buyback what 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 is the difference between these two so that really depends on the kind of owner that you that you are in in in, in the company so there are some owners who are uh, buy and hold forever type owners so you you buy stock in the company maybe because you you like the partners or you you, you like you like the people running the company and and so on uh, so you buy and then you never sell uh, any of your shares you just hold them forever so your entire return comes from the dividends that the company will give you over time because you never sell any of your shares so for this kind of uh, investor a buyback is basically Um, zero cash flow at the time of the buyback. So because they don't sell any shares back to the company when the company is doing a buyback, they don't get any uh, cash when the company uh, does does a buyback. But when the company gives a dividend, of course, they they get cash out of it. So for this kind of investor, um, there is an important trade-off, which is basically how much time passes between the buyback and the dividend. So a company may say, for, for example, in the case of XYZ, they could give back uh, $10 per share every year if they did a dividend. Or uh, for this kind of investor, they could say, okay, we won't do a dividend, we'll do a buyback. But uh, so so for the f- first 10 years, we won't give you any, any cash back. But then after 10 years, at the end of year 11 and so forth, we'll give you $16 or six, $16.70 a year. So now this buy and hold forever type investor has to sort of uh, work out whether uh, it's better to receive $10 every year or wait 10 years. And then from the 11th year onwards, receive $16.7. And the the general way to compare these two kinds of cash flows is to use what is known as a discounted cash flow analysis, where uh, you, you basically uh, assign a single number to each cash flow. Uh-huh. So, so the the dividend gives you a stream of cash flows. You assign a number to that, and um, the buybacks give you a stream of cash flows. You assign a number to that, and then you compare the two numbers and uh, you, you decide which whichever is the higher number, that is the the better alternative uh, for for you. Um, then there are other kinds of owners. They're not buy and hold forever type owners. Um, they they are uh, what 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 uh, what what's known as a proportionate seller. So a proportionate seller, what they do is um, if if the company buys back 5% of their uh, shares in any given year, uh, the proportionate seller will sell 5% of their shares to the company, uh, which is doing the buyback. So basically, um,
1: if um, say
0: 100 shares, the shares, what the seller will do, is uh, the seller will sell 5% of uh, his shares. So the seller will sell five shares back to the company. So in this way, what happens is when money from the company, because their share of the company, their ownership uh, percentage in the company has not changed at all. Um, So they, they own the exact same percentage of the company that they did before the buyback, but now they have some extra cash in their pocket. So it's like a dividend for them. What they have done is they've effectively turned the buyback into a dividend. That's possible. But for that, you have to sell some shares. If, if you're a buy and hold forever type investor, you can't do that. So that 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 is another important sort of concept uh, attached to this thread. So um, th- those are kind of the main concepts. Um, that that I, I I touched upon a few other topics in the thread. I I talked about dilution and stock-based compensation, how that affects buybacks, and uh, some some tax issues and and so on. Uh, but but these are the broad concepts uh, that you have to take take away from this thread. I'm I'm now going to sort of open it to questions. So let me see. I have one caller. Let me. Okay. I think I've. Um, The the caller's name is Democrat. Um, I think I made that person the, the next caller, but I still see their microphone is muted. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Okay, so there is something called Invite to Speak on the Colin app. I just invited, um, oh, okay, so your full name is Democrat-Republican, not not just Democrat. Sorry, it just shows your first name. <laughs> um, so I, I've, I've invited you to speak. I, I don't know uh, if you've received the invitation or, or whatever. Uh,
1: I don't know how you accept the invitation.
2: Hello. Am I audible? Yes, you are audible. Okay. Uh, so thank you for organizing this, thank you. Um I have this question about the pricing. So when you talk about the buybacks, how important is the pricing? And there are some companies which do uh, buybacks every uh, once in a while without seeing the stock's price. So can you talk a little bit about the pricing? When uh, should companies buy back their stocks uh whether irrespective of price or irrespective of price
0: right so for a continuing shareholder so there are two kinds of shareholders so when a company does a buyback what some shareholders Uh do is they sell their shares back to the company and there are some shareholders who don't sell their shares and who uh, sort of continue to own the shares even after the buyback now, the price matters a great deal for the person who's paying the price, and who's the person who's paying the price in in this context uh, the, the guy who 's paying the price is the continuing shareholder because what the that guy is doing is he 's foregoing his dividend, so the company could have given everybody a dividend, but instead of that, it is doing a buyback with the money so what this guy is doing is in, in effect, he's foregoing his dividend and he's using his share of the dividends to buy out the other guy, the other guy who's selling the shares back to the company. So the price matters a great deal for this kind of person. So if, um, if, if a company can buy back shares at, say 20, 20 times free cash flow, that means 5% of the shares will be retired each year. But if the company can, can buy back shares at, at only, say, uh, 100x free cash flow, then only 1% of the shares will, will be retired each year. So the guy who's uh, the, the continuing shareholder, uh, it's far better for him uh, to buy, back the, buy out the other guy at 20x uh, than to buy, buy him out at uh, 100x. Uh, so price matters a great deal for continuing shareholders. But for the proportionate seller, so um, the guy who, you know, if, if the company pays a 5%, um, if, if the company buys back 5% of their shares, this guy sells 5% of his shares back to the company. Uh, for him, the impact is felt very differently because uh, mm-hmm. if, if the price is very high, uh, then uh, he does get a fi- high price for, for 5% of his shares. So that that's good for him because he still has the same ownership stake in the company that he had before but now he's got a very high price for uh, some of his shares so that's that's a good thing for this guy so it depends on the kind of owner you are talking about um, and uh, uh, so there are a lot mm-hmm. of companies that do buybacks now some some of those buybacks are not really motivated by price so if, if you take a company like uh, uh, say uh, apple or uh, mastercard or some of these uh, companies uh, i think for the last several years they have just been Uh, buying back stock regardless of price whatever the price is at the market uh, they think that their shares are undervalued or whatever and they keep buying shares this is sort of their strategy uh, over several years and uh, generally speaking as long as they don't pay an exorbitant price it has worked out reasonably well for investors but um, in the case of apple for example it's worked out particularly well because in the early days of the buybacks the stock was depressed uh, the stock was trading at something like uh, twelve times earnings, uh, twelve times earnings at the time. If you back out the cash uh, that they had, and this this is a very very good mm-hmm. price. And so the continuing shareholders, uh, Warren Buffett included, they they benefited greatly from from this kind of uh, deal. So so yes, to answer your question, price price matters a lot <laughs> um, for for the continuing shareholders.
1: Oh, okay. Thank sure. you so much. So the next uh, uh, caller
0: is Brian. I've, I've invited them to speak. You know, I'm I'm not sure this invite thing works very well. <laughs> so you're you're muted, Brian. Yeah. Now Hello. Hello. Can. can you Hello. hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now.
3: Yeah. Um. I, I uh, thank you for writing this up. I had just uh, chatted
2: about this with a friend a couple of days ago, so that's very timely. Uh, I actually have a. Sort of unrelated question, because I noticed you
3: moved to this uh, calling app. I'm just curious about like uh, uh, your decision. Like uh, There must be some reason you found this uh, app is good versus uh, the Twitter space. I'm just curious.
0: Uh, right. So I decided to use the app uh, uh, mostly because the, the, uh, the people at Colin reached out to me and said, hey, we, we have this app. And we think, uh, you know, you can have an office hour for your threads. It'll be very, uh, very cool if you do that. <laughs> and uh, because they seem like nice people, I just started using this <laughs> instead of Twitter spaces. There's no no, no other reason why I'm uh, using this. They, they have some advanced features. So, for example, you know, you can record one portion of the, they, they make it really easy to record uh, one one portion of the, uh, uh, the, the audio session and then publish it later and and things like that. So th- they do have some advanced features over Twitter spaces. But um, so I, I have just learned how to get someone else to speak. So it, it may be a while before I'm using any of these advanced features.
3: Got it, thank you. Again, thanks for sure. writing up all the good,
1: good uh, thread. I really like, enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. So the next uh,
0: um, caller is uh, oom I've, I've just made them. Uh, yeah, I think you're online now. Hey, 10K. Thanks again for organizing this. This is great. Uh, Absolutely. Also, also my first time on here. Um, but I'm curious. I know in your thread, you riffed a lot on uh, why an investor might choose to invest in a company that does buybacks versus dividends. But I'm curious on the other side of it. And I think you started to to get at this uh, earlier, why would a company choose to do uh, buybacks versus
3: dividends? Like, what are some of the factors that go into that decision?
0: Uh, well, there are a number of factors that go into uh, why a company um, may choose to do buybacks. Um, so, for example, if you take Berkshire Hathaway, uh, they have for for many, many years, or I think forever now, they, they have never uh, paid a dividend. Um, and uh, they're they're buying back shares uh, hand over fist kind of uh, every quarter they're spending about uh, 5 billion or 6 billion dollars buying buying back shares and one reason might be that uh, they they think the shares are undervalued so if you if you take the present value of uh, all the future cash flows of the company and discount it to the present value at a uh, at at a reasonable discount rate that that gives you basically how much the company is worth. And you divide that by the total number of shares. And that gives you how, how much uh, each individual share is worth. Now, if the market price, if the price at which the share is trading in the market is much lower than this, uh, this sort of estimate of uh, how much a share uh, is intrinsically worth. Then um, uh, the the company may opt to do a buyback, and uh, if if the company does a buyback, uh, then people who are uh, the, again there are two two groups of uh, people. There are the sellers, and there are the continuing owners. So the continuing owners are basically buying back the sellers, uh, buying out the sellers at a at a discount to intrinsic value. So it's it um, adds uh, it, it it helps the continuing uh, owners. Uh, at At the expense of uh, the, the the sellers, uh, so so that is one good reason to do buybacks. Uh, then there are some not, not so good reasons <laughs> to do buybacks, and um, uh, the not so good reasons include um, stock-based compensation. So a lot of companies, um, the some some of the high flying tech companies in particular, what they do is they have these very generous stock-based compensation plans and so they they they, they just uh, dole out enormous amount of um, uh, st- company stock to ceos and other senior managers in in the company so uh, it's not uncommon for uh, such a company to give away um 2 to 3% of its shares or even 5% of its shares per year um uh, to to executives as stock based compensation now Um, that dilutes the existing owners. So if you uh, create additional shares and give them to uh, the CEO, um, say every year you you dilute the company by 5%, um, then if you just uh, use the rule of 72, uh, the the number of shares keeps growing at 5% per year. So after about 14 years, the number of shares has doubled. Uh, So now uh, each share is kind of worth, uh, if, if the earnings haven't grown proportionally, then each share is kind of worth uh, half of what it was, and uh, so companies don't like to report numbers where the share count is growing too fast. Uh, so some some of these companies what they do is they they do buybacks, um, and what the buybacks does it uh, it it brings the number of shares back down uh, to where it was. But it, it's in it's it's essentially a way of uh, masking or offsetting the effect of dilution. Um, so, so nobody ends up getting diluted because uh, the buybacks approximately cancel the stock-based compensation, but nobody's getting richer either uh, <laughs> because the shares are not worth more than what they were uh, before if, if the earnings and cash flows and so on haven't improved. Um, so so this is just a, a lot of cash that's being... Um, uh, used for buybacks in an effect in an effort to offset dilution so that's another reason not so good reason why companies do buybacks so these are all some of the uh, so, so some of the trade offs that go on inside a company
1: uh, that,
0: did, did that answer yeah question? that's
1: super helpful thanks so much sure so the next um, speaker is uh, vinod Vinod, are are you i i, I did send you an invite
0: okay, can you unmute yourself i think you're on mute hi Tenke. can you hear me now yes i can hear you
4: thank you much appreciated thanks for doing this and i'm a great follower of your writing i love your writing especially you take the essence of math and uh, apply it within uh, investing concepts it really sticks uh, in a lot of people's mind. I, by nature, I love math and investing. So I think it's, your writing is complementing a lot in terms of my understanding. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I love, I love math and investing too. <laughs> Thank you. Much appreciated. So uh, think I have a, two questions. One is on the, uh, this new initiative that you started. It is uh, really nice in terms of uh, maybe understanding your um, ideas, the thread you uh, wrote. And maybe it's an opportunity for us to uh, discuss and then maybe clarify uh, if there is any question. Uh, do you have any plans to do for some of the, your old threads? Basically, some of them is really good, and are, are you planning to do that in in maybe in in um, in coming weeks? Uh, that is my first question, and probably if you want to answer that now, probably I can wait. Hold hold on, my second question. Um, sure.
0: So uh, that's a great question. Um, so so far, uh, since this is the first episode that I'm trying out, I don't have any. Uh, I've not made any major plans for this new um, uh, kind of thing that I'm doing. So uh, if there is enough interest, um, I- I'm definitely open to discussing some of the concepts in the older threads. Um, but investing is uh, such a such a large uh, sort of area, and the concepts are all so interrelated to each other that um, I-, I think. So just just in this uh, uh, this uh, call-in session, we've covered uh, we've talked a little bit about DCFs, for example, and there was an older thread that that was dedicated to how to do a DCF. Mm -hmm. So the concepts are all so related to each other that uh, we we'll Mm -hmm. be touching on a lot of them. But if if there is interest, I'm definitely open to doing uh, uh, hosting a session and just talking about some some older thread that I've written. Um, we we can definitely do that, and and you said you had another
4: definitely. question. Definitely, yeah, yeah. My second question is about the thread that you wrote the the buyback option and uh, the dividend payout. I believe the buyback is works out better in terms of it is also more of tax efficient, right? Uh, because we don't have to when it goes to an investor. Basically, the investor need to pay uh, taxes. When if a company does this, probably there will be a retained uh, uh, cash flow. Maybe when you try to give it, maybe ten years later, that might work out work out as a better tax efficient uh, option. Is that my understanding correct? Uh,
0: yes. So, um, well, it your understanding is correct, uh, but it is uh, it may not be complete. Uh, let let me ex- uh, okay. try and explain that. So, uh, so there we talked about this proportionate seller, and this, what this proportionate seller can do. Mm-hmm is uh, he can take a buyback and sort of convert it into a dividend. So w- what exactly is a dividend? So if you own some um, some shares in a company and um, you you get some money for those shares without uh, diluting your stake in the company, that, that's essentially a dividend, right? Um, so when a company does a buyback, uh, say the company buys back uh, 5% of their shares, and uh, this proportionate seller, he sells 5% of his shares to, uh, back to the company. Um, now his uh, proportional ownership of the company hasn't changed at all. He still owns the same percentage of the company that he owned before the buyback. But now he has some extra cash in his pocket. So is that a dividend or a buyback? Hmm. So what what this guy has done is he's effectively turned a, dividend, uh, turned, turned a buyback into a dividend. And um, there are some tax advantages to doing it this way, because uh, this is technically this is not considered a dividend. Um, So even though it is uh, practically uh, a dividend um, because he's received cash and his ownership stake has not changed. So it's practically a dividend. But. Uh, he will be taxed on uh, the capital gains. It's it's treated as a capital gains because he owned some shares. He sold those shares back to the company. And you know that, that may have resulted in either a gain or a loss. Uh, so that's that's treated as a capital gain or a capital loss. Whereas if the company had just given him a dividend, uh, then it would be different. Uh, the, he, he would be taxed at... Uh, uh, the, the dividend would be taxed uh, at, uh, at ordinary income tax rates, uh, at least in the U.S., um so 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 buybacks are more tax efficient uh that way, but for the kind of owner who's a buy and hold forever type guy okay um so if you if you imagine that uh so i said uh, in in my example you uh, that that guy gets paid either ten dollars uh per share uh today uh every every year starting from today or 16 dollars per share or 16.7 dollars per share starting only in year 11 now uh, if this guy pays the same rate of tax on uh, on both the 10 dollars uh, and the 16 dollars then you can just compare the pre tax cash flows uh, you don't have to compare the post tax cash flows if the tax rates are the same so for this guy um, you know the buyback may not be all that uh, Tax-efficient or any, any anything like that, he may still be paying the same tax rate on <laughs> on the future cash flows as he gets from the current cash flows. So, so it depends on the kind of owner.
1: Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Makes okay. sense. Thanks. So the next uh, uh, question comes from Casey.
0: Casey, are you, are you there? I've, I've invited you to speak, but it, it still shows you as mute.
3: Oh, hi, 10K, are you there? Uh, yeah. Hi, nice to meet you. I have a couple concise questions for you. Uh, the first one was, I understand that it's an expense that shows up on the income income statement when you repurchase shares. How does it affect the balance sheet? Uh, I know they're retired, uh, I like guess, as, as on the balance sheet, but do they show up anywhere or affect assets or liabilities once they've been repurchased on the balance
0: sheet? right um so the buybacks don't really show up uh, on the income statement uh, so if you if a company uses uh, if a company just does buybacks uh, that is treated as a use of capital uh, but it does not show uh, show up ordinarily on the income statement now of course then maybe some it doesn't show as an expense no it it, uh, it does not show up as an income statement item um, so th- there are other things that affect the share count that show up on the income statement. So, for example, if if the buyback is done uh, in lieu of stock-based compensation or something like that, stock-based compensation has to show up as an expense item on the income statement. So so you may be seeing okay. some, something like that. And, and then there are taxes associated with that. So the, the tax-related items may be showing up on the income statement. But the buyback itself uh, does not show up on the income statement. And on the balance sheet, uh, it definitely shows up because uh, the the shares that are being bought back are not free. So if a company spends one billion dollars on on share buybacks, uh, then the amount of cash that the company has has to go down by one billion dollars. So if you see the cash and cash equivalents item on the balance sheet, uh, that that's going to go down by by one billion dollars uh, because they've bought back uh, stock. So so the assets of the company will come down and uh, so so things like uh, book value the, or net worth, the assets minus the liabilities, uh, the, those things will, uh, will go down because of the buyback.
3: Okay, makes sense. And then right. um, uh, do you have any examples of, of recent memory um, of companies who have purchased their undervalued shares? And then once the stock has appreciated back up, they reissue the shares at the higher price? And then also um, any egregious examples, again, using specific tickers, of buybacks offsetting stock options, which increase which increases shares outstanding. On either case of those those two examples,
0: right. Uh, so as far as possible, I like to make this show about uh, investing concepts and not uh, discuss individual uh, tickers. I don't want to say anything bad about any individual company or anything like that. Uh, you know, it's a lot of fights on Twitter <laughs> and, and so on. Uh, so so uh, t- to answer the first question, um, uh, companies, um, at least the companies that are um, making lots of money, lots of cash flows, they, they have been buying back a, stock, a lot of stock. In uh, recent years, and they haven't been issuing uh, as many shares uh, to raise capital or or anything like that. It's usually the much newer companies who are not uh, who are not making a lot of money, and in fact, who are losing money that are uh, issuing shares uh, in today's market. So I don't off off the top of my head, I can't think of any company that's been that that uh, issued. Uh, shares when the when when the shares were expensive and then bought bought back a lot of shares when the shares were cheap or or something like that. So all, all the companies that have a lot of cash flows for many years now they've been uh, net buyers of of their own stock. Um, but but there are historical examples. So so there is um, um, uh, the, the the canonical example that is that's quoted is um, um, uh, Henry Singleton of uh, Teledyne who used to do exactly this this kind of thing. So when when the stock is cheap, he would go and buy back the stock. And then when the stock was uh, expensive, uh, he was very good at (laughs) knowing when the stock is cheap and when the stock is expensive. And he added a lot of value to continuing shareholders by by doing this this sort of thing. (laughs) And Buffett, to some extent, did this in 1999 or or 2000, whenever they uh, took over uh, General Ray. So he didn't, Issue stock, um, or or didn't issue a lot of it. But what he did was he used the stock as a currency to go and buy other companies. Um, so so basically he created a whole bunch of new shares, and then he uh, used those shares to pay for the company that he was acquiring. So that that is an effect of use that that is kind of uh, using your overvalued shares or what what shares he viewed as overvalued at the time to go and buy something. That may not be as overvalued as uh, as as your shares. so so uh but, but that's not really uh, issuing shares in exchange right. for money it is issuing shares in exchange for interest in a in a company that's going to make money in the future Some, something like that
3: right. right right and do you know if most of them are done through cash or other finance the, the buybacks is there a trend where most companies do it with cash or most companies Take on debt, debt to repurchase. Oh shares.
0: well, so there are a lot of companies. Um, uh, there, there is an increasing trend to taking on debt and buying back shares. So one, um, w- one sort of uh, thing here is m- money is um, I- I- is fungible. So, so a company may take on debt and it may buy shares, but you may not be able to say that it has taken on debt to buy shares. Um, so, so. Um, uh, it, it, you know, it, it may say, okay, we took on debt, to, you know, and we reinvested in the company or some something like that. Uh, but we also bought back a lot of shares. So, so debt has increased and the share count has decreased. But uh, did we pay for the shares from the cash that we generated from our business, or did we pay for that uh, those those shares by uh, by the cash that we uh, got from debt? So one one dollar is one dollar, whether it uh, whether it's raised. Uh, through debt or whether it is earned by the company's own operations. So which dollar was used to buy back the shares? Uh, that, that is uh, sort of an open question because, <laughs> you, you know, uh, $1 is $1. Money is uh, fungible. So so that, that may not be very easy to say. Uh, but it's true that a lot of companies uh, have taken on uh, debt and then um, really bought back so many shares that they could not have done it through their own uh, cash flows because they were just not generating that much of cash. So one uh, example of this is uh, Starbucks. So what what they did uh, pre-COVID, uh, the the share when when the shares were uh, when the company itself was valued at something like uh, 60 billion or 50 billion something in that range, what they did was uh, they they issued a lot of debt, mm-hmm. and then uh, th- that debt actually. Uh, uh, so so they, they, they issued a lot of debt and then used the debt to buy back a lot of shares. So now uh, now they have all the debt. They have to repay the debt over time. But they don't they don't have the cash anymore because the cash which they got by issuing the debt is all being used to do uh, share buybacks. So now, um, back to your question about the, the balance sheet. Now, if you look at uh, the total net worth of Starbucks, it's actually negative. Uh, because they uh, they have the debt on the liability side of the balance sheet, but they don't have the cash anymore on the assets side. The The cash is gone. So assets minus liabilities is actually negative uh, for Starbucks. And uh, it's negative because they did lots of buybacks. So some, some companies do this. They issue debt to buy back shares. Even Apple, um, they, they issue a lot of debt to buy back shares. Uh, but that's mostly because uh, they they don't want to bring their uh, cash. A lot of the cash is parked outside the country. And uh, my understanding is that if they want uh, to do buybacks, the cash has to be in the country, but then they want to avoid the taxes that they will uh, have to pay if they bring the cash in. So instead of bringing their cash in from outside and then paying a tax on it, and then uh, using the post-tax proceeds to buy buyback shares, what they're doing is they're just issuing debt at very low interest rates to to buy back shares but it's not really debt because they can sort of pay it off anytime they want they just have to bring their cash from outside uh, the, the, the country they, they'll have to pay a tax when when doing that but um so so if you, if you have a hundred dollars outside the country and you take say fifty dollars of debt uh, are you really in debt uh, or not i mean you can pay off the debt anytime you want <laughs> this is just some financial engineering
3: Sure. Yeah, it seems like it'd be ir irresponsible for a lot of companies to, to issue debt to repurchase shares, but maybe maybe more responsible companies like Apple and Starbucks can do it.
0: Uh, right. It's it's a very risky strategy. So, for example, when Starbucks took on all this debt and used it to buy shares, they, they had no idea that uh, COVID was coming around the corner. And um, uh, because of COVID, uh, they 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 had they had to shut down a lot of their stores and things like that in the uh, w- during the lockdowns. And at that time, um, I, I believe they were the, uh, the, the they 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 reported negative earnings. I believe for uh, for at least one or two quarters. And um, so, it's you can take on debt and buy back shares and do all these things, uh, but you have to be very very sure that in the future you'll be able to generate uh, enough cash flows that you can pay off the debt and not run into any trouble there. And uh, Starbucks was very sure that they could uh, do this, but then COVID hit, and then uh, maybe they they generated far less cash during 2020 than they thought they would. So, so it is it is risky to do this.
1: Sure.
3: All right. Well, Absolutely. thank you very much, Junke.
0: So, we have another question from, from Amul again.
2: Hi. Um, yeah, I just have one more question regarding the cash available with the companies. So uh, for companies like Berkshire Hathaway, they are just um, piling up on cash. Like I think for the recent quarter, they had the record on cash of like $149 billion, if I'm not wrong. So I just wanted to know what's your take on whether to it's OK to just sit on cash and not paying dividends and not buying back your shares at all. And I know, I think, speaking about Berkshire Hathaway, they are doing some buybacks recently. But what's your take on how much is too much when it comes to cash? And now they just have to land on a decision, like either they have to make some dividend payments or buy some shares back.
0: Right. Uh, This is a wonderful question. It uh, touches upon an important concept uh, in, in investing, which is capital allocation. So when is it okay for a company to just pile up tons of cash on the balance sheet? Uh, so if the company just uh, keeps piling up cash on the balance sheet and doesn't invest it anywhere productive uh, for a very long time or something like that, then obviously uh, the owners of the company will be hurt by that because here's this company. It's just piling up cash. It's not returning cash to owners and uh, it's not earning anything on that cash. So so the co- owners of the company will be hurt. but. Uh, If the company can, say, pile up cash for a few years and then a few years later, some big opportunity comes up where they can invest the cash at very high returns or something like that, Uh, then it may be okay to sort of uh, hold on to the cash and uh, and then find big opportunities to invest. in. So Warren Buffett traditionally, what he has been doing is uh, he piles on a lot of cash and then he keeps looking for these great investment opportunities and uh, they they're getting harder and harder to find uh, because uh, you know he he needs opportunities of a certain size if they're too small if uh, then he cannot put all that cash to work uh so buffett's general strategy has been to pile up cash on the balance sheet never give a dividend but then uh, keep looking for opportunities to invest that cash and then when such an opportunity becomes available just pounce on that opportunity so during the 2000 9 2008 2009 financial crisis he, he invested uh, a lot of cash so he uh, that that was around that uh, it was around that time that he bought the bank of america warrants and things like that he gave uh, a few billion dollars to goldman sachs and uh, he, he made a lot of investments at at that time and he, he would not have been able to make those investments if he didn't have the cash on the balance sheet and i think buffett is hoping that uh, similar kinds of opportunities uh, will become available in the future as well. Uh, but while we are still waiting for those opportunities to show up, the cash is earning nothing and uh, it's actually a drag on returns. So it, it all really depends on, do you trust this manager to be able to find enough opportunities to reinvest the cash or not? Uh, so that, that should be the yardstick. If, 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 um, if buffett cannot invest uh, the cash in any reasonable way within a reasonable amount of time then he has to seriously consider uh, returning the cash back to owners either as uh, either through dividends or buybacks and i think buybacks is what they are uh, they're doing right now uh, because uh, it's it's fairly obvious that he thinks the shares are uh, very undervalued so they they are spending something like uh, 6 billion dollars a quarter so that uh, if you if you annualize that that's like uh, 20, 25 billion a year uh, and and they've been doing this for about uh, a year or a year and a half now so if if buffett went and uh, bought out some other company for 25 billion it will be big news in the in the papers and and you'll you'll read about it a lot and so on but because he's spending the 25 billion buying back his right. own company uh, you, you don't really hear about it Buffett is not going to go and put 25 billion into something unless he thinks it's really undervalued, or uh, unless he thinks there are really good returns to be had from from that. 25 billion is kind of a big, uh, big chunk right, of money, right. uh, even even for Warren Buffett.
2: <laughs> so so right. We're speaking of uh,
0: yeah, correct. Yeah yeah yeah. Uh, go go ahead. That that that's pretty much all I had. In-
2: Okay. So, no, I mean, speaking particularly about Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett, because uh, that is just kind of unfair to other managers because he has proven abilities to allocate the capital for like last 50 years. But uh, speaking of new managers who have been in this business for like last five to 10 years, uh, and if they are still piling up the cash without um, distributing it out. Um, so as an individual investor, because I have read about some school of thoughts about institutional investors, they just take the large tax and go ahead and replace the managers if he or she is not distributing the cash but individual investors like ourselves uh what's kind of do you have any recommendation if there is just too much cash in the store should we just um, do not pay any attention to it or you know just take some positions whether to sell the shares out or um, i just wanted to know your take on that
0: uh, absolutely. So uh, as an individual investor, see, I, I cannot uh, really go and uh, I, I'm, I'm too small to go and control decisions at uh, most com- most large companies <laughs> and so on. So uh, when I look at a company's balance sheet, if it keeps piling up cash without returning to owners, uh, unless I'm really, really confident that the company can uh, invest that cash uh, in, a, in a reasonable way at a reasonably high rate of return, uh, I don't want to go and uh, buy shares in in that company. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the the market also to some extent knows this, so um, they they may not value the cash at uh, at, at at one dollar or something like that. So it's so a one dollar of cash on the balance sheet. May, may be viewed uh, by the market as worth only 50 cents or something like that um, because they also know that uh, this cash is just piling up and it's going to take a while before <laughs> it's it's being invested and and so on so it also depends on how much cash the company has and how much are the shares trading for uh, if if the obviously if the, if the shares are trading for less than the cash on the balance sheet or some, something like that, that that would be a, a very interesting uh, ben, ben graham type uh, situation. Uh, so, so a lot uh, depends on how this cash is being valued by the market, as well. Um, so, so for example, if you take companies like Google and Facebook, uh, they have been piling on cash for uh, for many years now. And uh, F- Facebook, I think, has something like uh, sixty billion dollars or fifty fifty billion dollars of cash, something like that, on its balance sheet uh google may have uh, close to 100 billion if i'm if i'm not wrong so so they 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 have a lot of cash on their uh, balance sheets and it's not clear that they can uh, go and invest this cash because uh, if, if facebook uh, the last famous acquisition that facebook did was whatsapp for they bought whatsapp for 20 billion dollars um and after that they didn't really uh, do anything of of that size they, they did put in some money into reliance uh, india and and places like that but it wasn't of the same um, the, the 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 amounts invested were weren't in the same, uh, of the same order. Uh, there they were several billion dollars less. So uh, is it reasonable for us to expect uh, Mark Zuckerberg to be able to invest this 50 billion at a good rate of return uh, or should he return the money back to shareholders because he just can't find those investment opportunities? I think that's a great question because... Um, you know, anytime Facebook uh, uh, tries to acquire anybody these days, it's going to be looked at with uh, the, the regulators are going to take a very hard look at it. Um, so, so he may not be able to. Uh, he he may not be allowed to buy anything for uh, for that that kind of money. So so they may just have to develop uh, technologies in-house and that, that requires some investment of that uh, $50 billion, building the Metaverse and, and so on. I don't know how much, how much it costs to build a Metaverse. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if cash is right. piling up on the balance sheet and it's not returned to owners, uh, then uh, if, if you're a buy and hold forever type investor, you, you don't benefit from that at all. Uh, it, it, you don't get back any cash for the money that you invested. This is just cash piling up on the company's balance sheet. And uh, so that's that's not great mm. un- unless it's, it's invested well.
2: Okay. Does it make sense to retire the debt instead? Uh,
0: if they have a lot of debt uh, and uh, well, that, that is again a question of capital allocation. So uh, it depends on the terms of the debt. So is the debt uh, what what the interest rate the debt carries? What is the maturity of the debt? So if you're if you're you paying one percent interest uh, on debt and uh, you have that debt for thirty years or something something like that, then um, you know there there is a lot of optionality that the that the money can get you. Uh, you you can use that money for uh, for a lot of things potentially going um, uh, in 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 the future. So it may not be such a great idea to return the debt. But if you're already swimming in cash and you don't know where to put the cash and you don't think any such opportunities will be available in the future, then uh, it may make sense to just uh, pay down the debt because uh, you're you're just paying interest on the debt. I mean, it may be a small amount of interest, but it, it, it may not make much sense to hold on to debt if you're already swimming in cash. Unless, of course, it's a situation like Apple where you know they they can't really um, uh, they can't really use a lot of the cash that they have, so they have to sort of take on debt um, because because the cash is parked outside the country. They they're doing some financial engineering for tax reasons and, and things like that.
2: Okay, I hear you. I think that was very helpful. Okay, so
0: absolutely. Much. All right. So uh, do do we have any any more questions? I do, I don't see any other. I have a question. Oh, go ahead.
3: Um, uh, much like uh, people will be told to dollar cost average into an index fund, and sometimes you'll pay, you'll overpay, sometimes you'll underpay, but over the long term, you'll you'll average in at a fair price. Uh, for companies that have this type of mindset or this notion that they're going to set aside a certain amount each year for buybacks, regardless of whether their, their shares are overpriced or underpriced, and over the long run that uh, they'll end up paying a fair market price for it, uh, do you believe this is a good good notion, or do you think that they should only strictly buy when it's when it's objectively undervalued uh,
0: as I'm sorry, I just, think I, I lost you there for a, for a little bit, so uh, you, you were talking about companies that uh, that that are essentially implementing a, a kind of dollar cost averaging
3: yeah exactly yeah every year, regardless of whether it's overpriced or underpriced they're going to set aside a certain amount of funds to repurchase shares. And then over the long run, right. it'll, 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 it'll work out fine. What do you think of this notion?
0: So uh, I think there is a lot of credibility to this notion, uh, provided the company can execute on, on this plan. So usually, um, dollar cost averaging, the way, uh, it's, uh, the way we usually recommend dollar cost averaging is to say, okay, you set aside a fixed amount of money each month and and then uh, go and uh, uh, put that money into a stock or an index fund or, or something like that uh, now with with companies uh, the the amounts that they uh, they they set aside for stock buyback th- that may not be the same uh, each year or something like that so um, companies generally uh, uh, tend to be poor buyers of, of their own stock so when the stock is high um a lo- lot of companies are very good at uh, they they're very enthusiastic about buying back their stock <laughs> and then you know when when the when the stock crashes there's much less enthusiasm <laughs> to go and buy back the stock so so if the company can execute on this dollar cost averaging type strategy then uh, over the long term, if it earns a decent return on capital and, and things like that, if, if it has growing earnings and so on, the stock will do very well. And there are lots of companies that have done this in the past. So there there, there is this company called NBR, for example. Uh, it's a home builder in the U.S. And uh, they, they have been using pretty much 100 percent of their uh, uh, free cash flow uh, every year to go and buy back their own shares. And uh, the, share is, uh, the the stock has actually done incredibly well over the years. And one of the big reasons why uh, is because of this uh, consistent uh, cadence to the, to the buybacks over time. Um, but if you look at a number of companies recently, so for example, uh, during uh, 2020, in March 2020, um, there was a lot of uncertainty uh, because of COVID. And then uh, a lot of uh, stocks uh, crashed. So how 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 many companies um, went and bought back right. shares at the time the the stocks crashed? No, there were very few because usually when when your stock crashes, there's a lot of uncertainty, and when there's a lot of uncertainty, you want to keep cash on hand. Um, you 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 don't really want to go and spend it on buying back your own shares. So there there is a powerful incentive to sort of uh, uh, hoard cash when there's uncertainty and uh, spend cash when there's not much uncertainty and this is uh, sort of the opposite of dollar cost averaging <laughs> right uh, and and it may not work out that well
3: yeah i uh i agree with you thank you for that um would, would you say that historically that uh dividends were more popular uh in the past and over the last you know however many decades that share buybacks have become more popular than dividends uh, i this seems to be anecdotally the case but um if so, why do you think that's the case?
0: Uh, absolutely. So, dividends have definitely. If if you read uh, something like the 1934 edition of uh, um, Securities Analysis or uh, books books that were written uh, several decades ago, uh, that there is really not that much about buybacks or anything like that because uh, dividends were seen as the the, uh, the kind of the only way to return capital back to owners. And over the years, uh, buybacks have become more popular. And uh, wh- one of the reasons might be a lot of people view buybacks as a more uh, tax-efficient way to return money uh, than uh, dividends. So that that is one reason. Uh, the, the second reason, as I said, is um, uh, the rise of stock-based compensation. So um, previously, companies used to pay most of their executives in, in cash many decades ago. And now um, people are uh, companies are paying their executives in in stock, and mm-hmm. uh, so one, one reason a lot of companies do buybacks is to offset the dilution cost by stock-based compensation. and uh, so that that could be another reason why buybacks have become more popular than dividends uh, right. of, of late. But yes, you're right. this this is a general trend, and uh, so the dividend yield of the s and p 500 has uh, has gone down over time. Uh, but the free cash flow yield has not gone down as much. And uh, the the reason for that uh, is that uh, dividends now occupy a much smaller portion of free cash flow uh, and buybacks occupy the rest. So uh, that that's the reason. Sure.
3: Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, one more question, then I'll shut up. Uh, uh berkshire hathaway is of much interest to me you you obviously know a lot about them uh this isn't really a buyback question but uh you know like you said they're going to be purchasing 40 billion plus of shares over the last two years uh just if you had to guess would you say they continue to purchase uh you know into 2022 to 2023 or do you think it stops just just for for fun
0: Um, well you're asking me to predict the future (laughs) <laughs> so 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 <laughs> anything i say should be taken well, it depends. A big yeah of course of, of course so uh i think in berkshire's case a lot is going to depend on the price of the stock so if the stock stays at uh, roughly the current levels or maybe do- doesn't grow by more than five percent or ten percent or so- something like that then i'm reasonably confident that they will do a lot of buybacks but if the stock suddenly shoots up for some reason uh, that that seems fairly unlikely <laughs> if, if fast experiences any indicator uh, so so if, if the stock uh shoots up for some reason then um, I, I, I don't think uh, buffett will do buybacks at, at the uh, or at least I, I don't think he would be as enthusiastic about doing buybacks as as he seems to be right now so so a lot depends mm-hmm. on how the stock does
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, of course, I just, uh, like you said, it it doesn't shoot up uh, quickly like all the rest of the, uh, the equities in this crazy market. So, right.
0: so if it, if it right. doesn't do that, um, then, uh, <laughs> I, then I believe uh, Berkshire will... But, but, but
3: it also hasn't done that in, in years prior as well. And he didn't buy back shares. I'm sorry, what, what, what was the question? He, his, the Berkshire shares also didn't shoot up crazily in years prior to 2020 but he wasn't
0: buying back shares then. Uh, No, he wasn't buying back shares then. There were a couple of reasons for this. I think one, one reason is that Berkshire was a smaller company uh, before, and he could find ways to invest the cash that didn't involve buybacks. So uh, they acquired a large number of companies and so on. And uh, so Buffett always has this, uh, he's a very, very conservative, very safe kind of money manager. So uh, he he has a minimum amount of cash that he always wants to keep on the balance sheet, and he he doesn't want to go below that amount. Uh, thirty billion. Well, he he says thirty billion, um, and he, he used to say twenty billion. But um, so so Chris Bloomstrand and others have done some analysis on uh, how much capital he really wants to keep, and uh, they they have come up with something of the order of seventy billion or something like that. Uh, but. but it, I mean, uh, Berkshire has far more than uh, whatever that limit is on the balance sheet right now. Uh, so, so we we don't really know where that limit is because uh, mm-hmm. we we are so far above that limit that we we don't really know where it where that line is. Uh, so, so uh, so one Buffett wants to keep a certain minimum amount of cash at all times. Two, Buffett was able to find good opportunities to invest cash that did not involve buybacks in the past. So th- these are the two reasons I think that he, uh, he did not use buybacks as much. But there was a certain time in 2011, I believe, uh, either 2011 or 2012, thereabouts, where uh, Buffett came out and said, we'll, we'll buy back stock as, as soon as, uh, if, if the price is below 1.1 1. 1 times book. Uh, so 110% of book value, we'll, we'll, we'll be happy to buy back mm-hmm. shares. And then uh, the very next day, uh, the, the stock shot up and went slightly above 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, and then a few months later, he <laughs> came and said, OK, now we'll raise the limit to 1.2. And, and then the stock immediately went up to 1.2, slightly more than 1.2. <laughs> uh, so, so then I think Buffett learned his lesson and then said, uh, no, no, OK, we'll buy when we think it's undervalued <laughs> or something like that.
3: Yeah, yeah well well thank you for that and uh really enjoyed talking to you and hope you do many more of these absolutely this.
1: okay I, I i don't see any more uh,
0: callers um i think i've bugged all of you enough <laughs> so so if, if if there are no more callers i think uh, we should uh, you no know, declare success and then end this call so thank thank you all very much once again for showing up and uh, i hope to do many of these over time. It was great having all of you and uh, thank you for uh, all the very thoughtful questions and um, okay, hopefully see you next week. Bye-bye.